A large mistake that people are making with their ads is they think, oh, well, this is sort of relevant, so I'm gonna advertise that. Unless you're owning your actual space, there's no reason to be sending to these weird off niches. When we're talking about trail running shoes, you don't need to advertise to running shoes if you're specifically a trail running shoe. Until you've ranked up, you know, you're in the top two or three for trail running shoes, don't worry about sending to just like the word running shoes. Don't worry about gym shoes and all of the rest of it. Like if you're trying to get outside of your niche with these things, then you're just going to pay higher cost per clicks. You're gonna be less relevant. You're gonna have a lower conversion rate and Amazon's algorithm is gonna learn from that and charge you more and more over time from it. I just got back from D2C Newsletter's C-Suite Mastermind in Las Vegas, and I gotta tell you that this room of 100 D2C and retail operators were just buzzing about Tapcart mobile shopping apps. A lot of the brands in the room are already using Tapcart, and the ones who weren't are thinking about it because a mobile app is going to improve your retention. It's also gonna allow you to diversify your distribution strategies, which has never been more important. And more than that, your customers are just going to love it. Mobile app users have proven to be bigger diehard fans of your brand. They've got higher conversion rates, revenue per session, and LTV compared to users that come to your web-based store. Just like fashion brand Princess Polly, who launched their app in 2019 using Tapcart and now consistently see 20 to 25% of their revenue coming from this channel, it's their second highest revenue channel after their online store. With Tapcart, it's incredibly easy to build, launch, and maintain your mobile apps. So to learn more, go right now to tapcart.com slash DTC. That's tapcart.com slash DTC. Tell them Eric sent you. It's all killer, no filler. I'm Eric, and today we are here on the D2C podcast with Pilot House's amazing Amazon team, Rob and Clifford. Last time we did this, we called it, I think it was the meta team, and we talked about the biggest opportunities and the biggest oopsies, the biggest ops and oopsies. But I'm thinking today it rhymes better. Let's call it the biggest Amazon ads, ops and flops, ops and flops. So opportunities and ways that we also see that brands maybe are going astray when it comes to their Amazon ad accounts. So maybe we can start with flops and the top five biggest mistakes we see in Amazon ad accounts. Who wants to kick us off? Yeah, I think a whole bunch of them are related. So I think a lot of them stem from like one common main problem is that people don't know how the ads work, just straight up. Like Amazon presents the ads in a way that it, you would think they work in a certain way and they just don't work that way. What I mean by that, to make it less vague, is when you make an ad campaign on Amazon, you pick the keywords, for example, that you want to target. You would assume that if you pick those keywords that you want to target, you will show up in search results for those keywords. Quite simply, that's how it should work. Um, but when you think about it a little bit more rationally, there's only so many placements in those at least first couple pages of search results to put your ads. So how are you getting so many impressions? Um, a big part of that is that your ads can show up on product pages that are related to those keywords, which are not great placements usually and not at all where you intended to put your ad. So a lot of problems that we see in ad accounts stem from this misunderstanding where people don't realize that their ads are showing on product pages when they're trying to target keywords and their ads are showing for keywords when they're trying to target product pages. And where that becomes an even bigger issue is, well, if you're targeting, let's say, a competitor who's very close to yours, you're targeting their product specifically. Well, 
their product is likely relatively highly ranked for your branded keywords. So now you're actually showing up on your branded search terms and you're not actually showing up on your competitor's product page at all. So you're it's like completely convoluting it and totally messing with your results that you think you're getting. And the solution here is to segment them out? So that was the product page one that Clifford just mentioned. That's And this is where the interrelation comes in. So uh, that was number three on my list, which is a typical mistake we see is not running product page multipliers on your ASIN targeting campaigns. So in that case, if you are targeting a competitor trying to display on their listing, you can run a really low bid and a very high product page multiplier. So you're essentially just telling Amazon, like, don't show me in rest of search, like don't follow this ASIN around, only show on the product page. And then that honestly relates to Clover. He kind of looped it into that point as well as what we see is brands aren't segmenting out their branded terms enough. So if you actually segment out all your branded terms into separate campaigns and negate them from all your other campaigns, then you know where you're actually driving branded traffic. And that should be super efficient and very profitable for you. And you do not want to overspend there. But if you don't segment it out, it's just going to brand, it's going to leak its way into everywhere. And you're going to think that you have this great performance, but really you're just converting on branded terms less efficiently than you would be if you segmented them out. There still is a debate sometimes I see on Twitter about people bidding on branded terms or not. And I feel like lots of brands are often like loath to bid on their own brand term that they'd show up for negatively. But it's sort of essential from our perspective, I guess, and on Amazon as well. Do you ever run into people with hesitations about bidding on branded keywords on Amazon or people bought in on that? Yeah, there's run into hesitation all the time. Typically, it's a framing question. It's like, um, actually, Clifford, you put this pretty good with the grocery store analogy. Um, yeah, if, so yeah, if you, if you walk into a, a grocery store and you're looking for a specific brand's products, you can ask the person at the front where they are and they can take you right to them, but you have to walk past all of the other brands on your way to it rather than if you ran that branded ad, you could put it right at the front where they're looking for it. That's kind of the analogy of it is like, sure, your brand, it will be there. Like in Amazon, if you search for a brand name, you can scroll down past the ads and you will see the branded organic result. Same with Google ads, right? You scroll down past the ads, you can see the branded organic result, but you're trusting a lot of people to just not get distracted on their way there. Yeah, and like the ultimate, like, uh, well, we saw this one, it was one of the soda brands, I forget what one, but like one of the healthy soda brands, like they had won Amazon's choice badge for their competitor's term. So like they're actually won a branded term as an Amazon's choice, which is crazy. Like if that's, if it's your brand and you, someone searches it and there's a competitor pops up that has the Amazon's choice for your brand name, like that's gotta hurt. Yeah, I guess you better bid on your own brand or, you know, as evidenced by what we're just talking about here, other people will be bidding on it and, you know, they'll they'll get that priority in, in the feed over the organic results. So bid on branded keywords. But it should be very efficient. Like, don't get us wrong. Like, don't overspend on it. Don't be unprofitable on it. Like, it should be very, very efficient. Um, what do you mean by that exactly? Like, what, what bench, is there any benchmarks you can throw out about what you're looking for in efficiency when bidding on branded keywords on Amazon? It depends on the product price typically. Um, so like if you have a low price product, you know, some something below $20, I would say you usually can't get much higher than a 
five or a six ROAS on those campaigns if you're in somewhat of a competitive niche. Of course, if you're in some, someone's going to be like, well, I get a 25 ROAS on mine. It's like, okay, like your 30 cent cost per clicks in your tiny niche, like don't, like that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, for the majority of products under $20, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of a six ROAS is usually around where you can get with branded while defending it quite well if you have a lot of competition in your niche. Um, a lot easier if you're a tiny brand, no one else is advertising on your terms, you can get clicks for dirt cheap. Um, as you get larger, that becomes harder. Um, if you're a much more expensive product, something in the $80, $90 range, a lot of the time we can get closer to a 12, 13 ROAS, just because the conversion rate is so high on branded that even if the clicks are a little bit more expensive, if your product's somewhere in the $80, $90 range, you know, 25% conversion rate, usually you can end up with somewhere around a 10, 10 or above ROAS. So it, it varies, but somewhere in the neighborhood of six to 15 ROAS on branded keywords. Sounds like a serious op that comes from a potential flop. What other flops are we seeing in Amazon ad accounts? Uh, this is one that I see all the time, I would say is overspending on broad and auto campaigns. Like typically sub 10%, we see in a Campaigns, we, we built out sub 10% of spend and on to auto and broad used fairly sparingly. The reason being is it gives Amazon a lot of that control. And if those campaigns are getting conversions, it's usually much more efficient to migrate those keywords into phrase and exact match terms. If your auto campaigns really just there to prospect for new keywords, I think we see a lot of spend on those because it's easy to set up and they'll get performance. Like you're giving Amazon the control, letting it drive, they'll convert they'll do okay, but they just go very wide and they get very crazy and you end up with a bunch of wasteful spend. So even though it's actually like, hey, it's great, it's got like a two row as, you could just make that so much higher by actually segmenting out your, graduating in terms, doing segmentation, doing the keyword research rather than like waiting week after week for Amazon to find the stuff that's going to work. Yeah, to expand on that, um, I think a... It's kind of a fundamental philosophical difference that we have with a lot of people who are running ads on Amazon. Like a lot of the strategy that you'll see relatively like experts um, on the platform run is to run a good amount of broad and a good amount of auto, especially in the early days to capture those keywords that they think will convert and whatnot. But reality is if you know anything about your product, you know your top 15, 20 keywords before you even get on the platform for the most part. Of course, you're going to find a lot of things over time, but for the most part, you know your top 15, 20, and you can advertise to those relatively aggressively. What you're doing with giving Amazon this control over broad and auto is saying like, okay, find any keywords that you think I'm relevant for. And what you're going to get is competitor brand names. You're going to get a whole bunch of competitor product pages that you're landing on. You're going to get a whole bunch of things like, uh, let's say you're selling adult vitamins. Well, now you're gonna land on kids vitamins phrases and whatever. Like there is so many like vegan versus non-vegan in a lot of cases. Like there is a lot of different places you're going to land, which were clear are clear things that you shouldn't be advertising on. But Amazon doesn't know that because they're just auto matching you with anything in the category that makes sense. And so you're just wasting a whole bunch of money on things that you already know you're not relevant for and you wouldn't have spent on to begin with. And on top of that, you're also spreading out your spend drastically across all of those rather than dialing into one thing. So like now you have say a hundred dollar budget a day to spend on this broad campaign. You spent 10 bucks on this irrelevant term, $10 over here on this irrelevant term, eight over here on this irrelevant term, and only like 30 on the ones that are actually like mad 
matter when you could have spent that entire $100 on words that are clearly relevant to you and maybe take 10% of it and spend it on something broad that's more exploratory. Like you're, you're not only wasting money on irrelevance, but you're also losing scale and losing most of your sales likely by not actually advertising to your relevant terms as much as possible. And so people will think, but it's good to let Amazon run open, give them the, they know the data, they have the control, they know the broad audiences. But in reality, you're already giving Amazon that control with your bid movement anyways, because unless your bid on a campaign or on a keyword is set extremely high, Amazon's already making that decision of who to show your ad to and who not to, because you're not going to show it to every single person who searches that term. So you're already giving them that control over the audience by when you're advertising to that keyword because your bid isn't astronomically high to own 100% of impression share anyways. Super interesting. It makes me think of, uh, you know, with paid social, everyone's trying to go as broad as possible. And, and you know, Facebook is wants you to turn over as much control uh, into its AI, you know, campaign generation tools as possible. But first of all, Amazon is a newer platform than any of the others. And also it's that intent-based platform, similar to Google, where if you aren't really zeroing in on the exact intent of people wanting your product, it's going to try to spend your budget in all these other places as much as possible. So I think that's a big opportunity then is to then is to just start your campaigns like with the keywords that you know in you say phrase or exact match and then just apportion a very small percentage of your budget, say 10% to these auto campaigns where you can be always finding these new, potentially new affinities and new keywords that work. Yeah, exactly which you would then migrate. Once you find ones that work, you take them out of the broad and put them into exact or phrase match. Yeah, and you just continue, over time, you're just continually limiting your auto campaign because it's getting more, the negative list on it's just getting bigger and bigger and it has to work harder and harder to find new stuff. Um, but that's what it's for. Well, that leads us into your number four biggest flop we see on Amazon accounts, which is underutilizing negative keywords. So this is another way that you limit the... Uh, the spendy algorithms, Bezos's spendy algorithms. Is that is that how you see it, Clifford? Yeah, hundred um, percent. There is a lot of room for negatives in a lot of cases. Um, I think a large mistake that people are making with their ads is they think that oh well, this is sort of relevant, so I'm going to advertise that. In reality, unless you're owning your actual space, there's no reason to be sending to these weird off niches. Example uh, that we're using all the time on this when we're talking about trail running shoes. You don't need to advertise to running shoes if you're specifically a trail running shoe. Until you've ranked up and you like, you know, you're in the top two or three for trail running shoes, don't worry about sending to just like the word running shoes. Don't worry about gym shoes and all of the rest of it. Like you might say, well, they're made for trails, but they could be used in the gym too, or something like that. It's a ridiculous concept because you're competing against a ton of products that are specifically made for that purpose in almost every scenario. So if you're trying to get outside of your niche with these things, then you're just going to pay higher cost per clicks. You're going to be less relevant. You're going to have a lower conversion rate. And Amazon's algorithm is going to learn from that and charge you more and more over time from it. So just negative those out, like negative out these competitor terms, negative out competitor, like competitor brand names, competitor ASINs, if you're ASIN targeting that you don't want to show for and try to actually maintain so that the budget that you're putting into those campaigns is used where it should be. That's the biggest concern with the, the negative, like not using negative keywords is, yeah, you're spending $60 a day on this campaign, but you're allowing 
$20 of it to go outside of where you've actually intended. So using negatives appropriately allows you to properly funnel that spend where it should be going and where most of the time where you actually think it's going. Because like I said at, off the top, people just don't have a fundamental understanding of what their ads are doing usually. So if, if you look into your search terms, you'll see a lot of issues likely and using negatives helps clean that up. How many? I get it depends on the account, of course, but like we're talking hundreds of negative keywords in a lot of cases. And do you, are you continually adding negative keywords as you see really low performing keywords crop up in your results? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yes, you're continually adding keywords. The number completely depends on the ad console and like how many keywords there are out there. Um, it's going to grow over time. You're going to use like, you're going to have keywords negative as negatives in certain campaigns that you're actually targeting in other campaigns. That's like the branded example. Like your auto campaign is going to have, your auto campaign is going to have everything you're targeting in exact or phrase match negative. So it's massive list. And then, yeah, if you notice things popping up in like phrase or phrase campaigns that you don't want, you're going to negate them. You might be negating like competitor branded terms if you don't actually want to show up for those because you know you're not relevant. Um, so yeah, the list can really just grow over time. So it's a bit a bit to manage, but nice. Um, what other? I think you have another flop here. Another uh, flop you see on Amazon ads accounts. What's what's our final one here? So using budget to control spend rather than bids. Uh, if you're budget capping your campaigns, like if you're actually hitting budget, uh, you either have in well you have inefficiencies. So you're leaving money on the table. And if you're not getting, if you're spending a budget, and you're not getting the return you want, then lower your bids. Your bids just should determine how much you spend, not your budget. You can use the budget there as like a stopgap if you're like, hey, I really don't want to, don't want to accidentally overspend if I don't look at my campaigns for a week because I want to take the week off. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you can dial in your bid, either up or down, to make sure based on your conversion rate to get the ideal return that you want. Control efficiency, not cap things. Yeah. And then if you're controlling the efficiency, then it's like if your target's at 20%, like why wouldn't you spend another 100 bucks if you can get that, that return? Uh, I mean, we're a performance agency, so that's how we work too. It's like every, we will spend every additional dollar to get the return that we want or we need to get. As soon as we can't get the return, then you rein in spending. But like why not spend more? Like don't leave money on the table. And the budget capping can have some pretty rough uh, unintended consequences too that people don't like typically account for is if you, for example, have one of your highest spending campaigns to uh, it's covering some search terms that are some typically some high volume search terms because how else is it going to cap out its budget, right? There has to be the search volume there. Those are usually the ones that will cap out. But what happens is, let's say you go home at five, you stop watching the campaigns and at seven o'clock, every day that campaign's hitting budget cap. Well, now you've stopped advertising to that term with that campaign, but what's very likely is you have an auto campaign or a broad campaign or a phrase match campaign that now that that other one's not advertising to it, it's taking over and its bid is not nearly as dialed in as that main one is. And so it starts advertising to it and now you're getting a really messed up results where like you're getting leaked through of that term over here and maybe the ROAS is better on that campaign than you think it is, like because it's landing on your main term that you didn't expect for it to land on. And so like 
allowing that to budget cap and that campaign stops displaying has all these downstream effects that you might not have intended because it just stops displaying at a certain point in the day. Fun thing there too is like without fail on like big sales days, we watch our campaigns in the evening because you'll see the competition just drop off. And then you can just like, you can perform quite well in the evenings because there's a whole bunch of brands out there that are hitting afternoon budget caps because they didn't increase their budgets. And then the competition dies and you can make a whole bunch of money in the evening, uh, which is, is fun. So I love it. So what I hear is that the Amazon team doesn't take vacations and they wait up in the evenings to make sure that results are, are popping. Love to hear it. I, we've got Mother's Day coming up. I know we, this isn't on our notes here, but is there anything we're doing that we do to optimize for Mother's Day uh, coming up here? The classic one is there is if if there's any brands or products that actually apply well as a Mother's Day gift, classic one is to run a sponsored brand headline that speaks to something to do with Mother's Day or however it, that product applies to Mother's Day, um, and then have a store page dedicated to that, like to build the smallest little bit of a funnel to hopefully sell through to that person. A lot of the time, those are incredibly competitive search terms. So typically that doesn't pan out super well, except for the really specific, like let's say you're selling, let's go to shoes. Uh, it's a terrible example for this, but if you're selling Mother's Day shoes, uh, well, your Mother's Day shoes keyword will do well, but Mother's Day gifts and you're trying to force shoes into it, that's going to do way worse. It's very difficult to do well on those terms, unless you really have a product that's really intended to be like a gift box type of thing or something along those lines. Do you even know how big your mom's feet are? No. No, I have no idea. <laughs> so not a, but if you're, if it's jewelry or if it's, you know, or if it's uh, Jones Road Beauty or if it's one of, you know, one of these interesting brands that, that could really compete in that area, I could see it being interesting. Nice. Well, let's leave that there today. We've got a few other topics that we can kind of save for later about creative opportunities and, and a few others. I just was looking, I always got to look at Bezos headlines. I see he's just been unseated. Him and Musk have been unseated as the world's richest man by uh, the LVMH uh, fashion guy. So Jeff, like, what, what are you, what are you even doing here? I, I see he's also trying to buy potentially the Seattle Seahawks. So I think, uh, I think that could be good for him. It's because Amazon stock's gone down, right? That's why he's no longer the richest is because their stock yeah. price. Well, this is all Andy Jassy's fault. Okay. This is not even a Bezos problem. This is an Andy Jassy problem. Oh, well do tell. I don't know who Andy Jassy is. Tell the audience who Andy Jassy Andy is. Andy Jassy is the new CEO of Amazon since okay. Bezos left. He took over. And he's not cutting the mustard yet or what? So not to not to get too into the weeds of what I think. I think Amazon as a company is extremely undervalued in the marketplace of uh, the stock market because they're not valuing the logistical prowess that Amazon has built up. And you see these competitors come in like, what is it, Timu or whatever that's coming in and like, you know, Wish and a lot of these others that try to compete in the marketplace space and they don't stand a chance because they don't have last mile delivery figured out in the same way that Amazon does. So I think that aspect of their business and how much they're integrating freight is extremely undervalued. And just because they don't hit some earnings numbers some quarter, their numbers get hit, but... Uh, I think they're currently way undervalued and Bezos will take back his crown very shortly. How is that Andy's fault? How is that a flop for Andy? It just sounds like that's like a, that sounds like a market opportunity. This is not a, uh, this is not investment advice. Sounds like a market opportunity, but how is Andy contributing to this? 
I think it's an Andy Combs problem. Okay, Bezos was very good at communicating the vision and the future looking and the prospects. And I think current CEO less so and more focused on the, well, let's talk about the now and this and that. And he's more talking about the business sides of it rather than the grand vision sides of it that get people excited. Stock market follows it. And Amazon has as grand a vision as you can get in the commerce space. So lean in, Andy, if you're listening, or if you know Andy, lean into that a little bit more, get a little bit more visionary, turn that flop into an op, and uh, and, and let's go, let's get that. So I'm gonna buy some, uh, no, I, I'm gonna buy some stock right now maybe, uh, based on Clifford's advice, even though it's not advice, in cannot be construed as advice in any way, but. Uh, it's nice. only gone down since Clifford told me to buy it, so. <laughs> All right, well we'll, well, we'll turn that flop into an op. Thanks for coming on today, guys, it was fun. Awesome, thank you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're not getting the D2C newsletter, you can subscribe for free at directtoconsumer.co. And if you want to learn more about Pilot House's all-killer, no-filler services, take off to pilothouse.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.